Good morning to you. I thank God for this beautiful day. I'd like for you to turn with me to Romans chapter 3 this morning, if you would. Romans chapter 3. And we are going to go into God's courtroom this morning. We left off at verse 8 last week. We're going to pick up in verse 9 this morning. In God's courtroom, Romans 3. Let's pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let me speak as the oracles of God. Give us an ear to hear what the Spirit would say unto the church in these last days. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. We'll take it verse by verse. We're going to go to verse 20 this morning. Now Paul has laid out a case and he says, is there any advantage to being a Jew? And, and earlier Paul has said, well, yes, of course, because unto them we're given the promises. We are the beneficiaries of, uh, of what the nation of Israel was promised by God himself. God made some unconditional promises to Abraham. And, uh, and Jesus Christ came from the seed of David, from the tribe of Judah. And so we as Christians, Gentile Christians, we are beneficiaries of, uh, of the Jewish promises. And, and he says there is an advantage in that respect. However, there's a greater sense of accountability. And so that's what happens in verse 9. He says, what then? Are we better than they? You know, are we, are we better off because we've got the promises and, and because the, the, the covenant with Abraham? And he said, no, in no wise, for we have both proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all, now there's an important phrase here. It says, all under sin. I want you to underscore that in your mind. It's not just that we sin, it's that we are under sin. We are held, we have a sin nature. When Adam sinned in the garden, sin came in and with it death came in. And now that's why you don't have to teach a baby, you don't have to teach a, a young child how to lie. They just instinctively know how to do that because they have a sin nature. And we don't have to be taught to do evil because our, our, our bodies teach us that we, we instinctively know how to do what is wrong. But what, how to do what is right is where we find the great difficulty, doing what is right from God. But he says they are all Jews and Gentiles. The whole world is under sin. Now, that does not mean that all of us are as bad as we could possibly be. And that's not Paul's point here. Paul's point here is not to show that everybody is as depraved as they could possibly be because even bad people, and, and I use that term uh, tongue-in-cheek in the way that we would use it in our modern vernacular, but even bad people know how to do good things every once in a while. You know, even evil people love their own children and, and give Christmas presents to people. I mean, so it doesn't mean that everyone is as depraved as they could possibly be, but you have to remember what the standard is. What is the standard of righteousness? The standard for God is absolute holiness and absolute perfection. That's what God is. God is holy, He is righteous, and He is absolutely perfect. He is absolutely true. And we are absolutely not that. And so we need help. And so He says, as it is written. Now, in the next few verses, Paul is going to do what the, uh, the rabbis call... Uh, putting forth a string of pearls. He's going to show uh, by at least six Old Testament quotations, and they come from the Psalms, uh, from Isaiah. Uh, perhaps some, uh, some have surmised from Ecclesiastes. 
but, but he's going to use the, the word of God to prove that we are all under sin. And so we'll look at these. The first one in verse 10, he says, as it is written, there is none righteous. Now I want you to notice in these next few phrases, the word all, because Paul is laying out a case for the universal guilt of mankind. He says there is none righteous. Righteousness is a big theme in the book of Romans. It is a major theme in Romans. And, and again, uh, justification and righteousness, these are terms, and we'll talk more about them in subsequent weeks. I may even devote my teaching to uh, just talking about justification, what that means. It's a legal term. It is a, uh, a legal definition. And he says there's none righteous. Now, what does it mean to be righteous? It, it means to be holy. It means to be justified before God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And he's quoting from Psalm 14 here. And the first part of that psalm, if you've ever read it, David says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, the, the, the words there is uh, are in italics, which means the translators supplied that. So literally, it means the fool has said in his heart, no God. Uh, and that's what, human, that's what humanity has basically says to God, as they say, no, thank you, God. Uh, I, I don't want to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. There is none, verse 11, there is none that understandeth. Now, uh, we know from Paul's teaching to the Corinthians, he says that the natural man does not perceive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. They are, they are on a different spiritual plane. Uh, the natural man cannot understand because, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, lest that the glorious light of the gospel should shine in unto them. And so they can't see. They're, they're not capable. No matter how smart they become. Remember what Paul has said earlier in Romans 1 about those who reject, those who suppress the truth, those who hold the truth in unrighteousness? He says, professing themselves to be wise, they become what? Fools. And, uh, and, and Paul would tell, tell Timothy, he says that in the latter days, in the last days, and we're in those times, it started on, at Pentecost, but he says that men would be ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You cannot come to a proper understanding about God without the help of the Holy Spirit. There is none that understandeth. Now look at the last part of verse 11. He says, there is none that seeks after God. Now some of you would object at this point. You say, well, what about all the religions of the world? What about the monks in Tibet? What about the Buddhists? What about those who are seeking enlightenment? Well, uh, they're certainly seeking something, but they're not seeking God. I would encourage you on your own time, not, not while I'm preaching, but on your own time, to just read through John chapter 6. That's one of my favorite chapters in the Gospel of John. And it very succinctly shows that no man can come to Jesus Christ unless the Father draws him. You cannot come to God on your own. Now you say, well, what about the scriptures that say if you seek, you'll find? What about the scriptures that say that if you search with all your heart, you'll find me? Those are true. But I'm going to give you a, a, a Bible truth here that you will never seek God until he first initiates that within you. No man can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him by the Spirit. And so if you do love Jesus this morning, if you do believe in the Lord, you ought to rejoice because God Almighty is the one who opened your eyes. 
Remember when Peter made that great confession? You know, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're this, some say you're that. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter made that great declaration. Remember, he said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And remember what Jesus said to him? He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. He said, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father who is in heaven. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, it's because God chose to reveal reveal Jesus Christ to you and you ought to count your blessings. There is none that seeks after God. Verse 12, he says, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. That word means worthless. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Uh, now, the early Christians were called the way. They weren't called uh, Baptist or Methodist back then. They were called the way. And you can do your own study on that. I would encourage you sometime to look at the times that the, 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 script, the Christians are referred to in the book of Acts as the way, the, the faith. But here it says they've gone out of the way. They've chosen the path. They've chosen to suppress the truth. And knowing God, they refuse to acknowledge him as God. But instead, they choose what? To worship the creature more than the creator. And they suppress the truth and their mind becomes darkened. And they become alienated from the life of God. And, and they, uh, they're, they're given over ultimately to a reprobate mind. They're going out of the way. Become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. Notice this phrase. No, not one. Now again, you would, some would object and say, well, I know a lot of people who are not saved who do good things. And I would say, you're absolutely right. But you have to remember, the standard that Paul is talking about here is absolute perfection. Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he was, he was pretty confident that he was able to tick off all the boxes. Remember that story in the Gospels? And you remember what Jesus said to him? He says, Why do you call me good? He said, there is none good but God. And indeed, Jesus Christ was God. He, he is God in the flesh. He's God the Paul is talking about here that there is none that does good. He's talking about in the sense of being righteous, of being holy, like God. And, and that's precisely the point here, that no one is good. No, not one. Now, in verses 13 and 14, we see uh, four four different organs that have to do with speech. Paul's doing like a, a spiritual checklist here. He's, he, we've, he's like we're coming in for a physical, a spiritual physical. And he's already diagnosed our hearts uh, and, and our mind in verse 10 through 12. Now he's going to deal with our mouth. You know, that's where our biggest problem is. He says in verse 13, their throat. Notice there's the throat, the tongue, the lips, and the mouth. There's four different uh, areas that control uh, the area of speech. It says, their throat is an open grave. You know, that's a powerful image, isn't it? That your mouth uh, is, is like full of dead men's bones. Your, your mouth is like a trap uh, set for people to fall in. The tongues, you've used deceit. You know, we, we lie. That is a, a characteristic of the unsaved. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of curse and bitterness. You know, uh, when I was a saved person, I, I had a terrible problem with profanity. And I get around people a lot of times, and I'll hear, hear them uttering all kinds of profanity. And, and I don't like to hear it, but you know, I don't get all bent out of shape when I hear it because I know that, that, that that's just characteristic of those who don't know the Lord. 
people that don't know God, that's just, that's just natural for them is to have a potty mouth and to lie and to cuss and to take God's name in vain. It's just part of who they are. That's part of the package of being a, a son of Adam. And, uh, and, but, but that's characteristic of the ungodly. He says in verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. You know, natural man, man left to his own devices is a very violent uh, individual. That's why there's so much murder in the world. And, be, and because people, uh, they, they don't value other people's lives over themselves. They value their own agenda. That's why there's so much killing and violence in the world. That's why there's so much abortion in the world. It's because people don't want to be inconvenienced with bringing a child into the world and taking care of it. Destruction and misery are in their ways. You know, ultimately, uh, a life lived apart from God will bring misery and destruction and ruin. He says, the way of peace have they not known. You know, a person that doesn't know God, they're destined to have conflict all the days of their life. It takes, really, it takes God to be able to get along with people. You know, it takes... Uh, the forgiveness and the grace of God for us to be able to truly love one another as God has commanded in the Bible. You can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. And Jesus Christ said, By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And ultimately, verse 18 shows where the real problem lies. This is kind of a summation of all of these other quotes, these quotes from the Old Testament. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You know what the Bible says about the fear of the Lord? The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. Now, this is not simply a a fear of judgment or a fear of condemnation, but there's a reverential fear. I often quote the, the book of Psalms when I'm in prayer, and especially when I'm asking God to forgive me of some shortcoming, some sin that I have committed against Him. And I quote from the Psalms, and he says, uh, Lord, if you should mark iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. We ought to reverence and fear God because he is a loving God, because he's a righteous God, because he will forgive our sins. We, sh- we ought to love God, and that's why I don't always... Uh, we, we do have to preach about the, fear, uh, the judgment of God and the condemnation of the godly and that kind of thing. But I'm going to tell you what really motivates me to love God and to obey Him is not being afraid of Him. It's knowing how much He loves me. You know, when you know how much somebody loves you, there's nothing you won't do uh, to try to please them. Here's we get, we've been in God's courtroom, and now He's about to... Seth, that, ...that every mouth... Do you see that in your Bible? Every mouth may be stopped and all but the world may become guilty before God he showed he's just shown them from the Old Testament from the Psalms from Isaiah that even the Word of God the Old Testament in which the Jews uh, they, they thought it gave them a greater uh, standing before God but their own law shows that all are under sin and every mouth is stopped do you see that uh, it's interesting to me that those who are self-righteous, remember in Matthew 7, you've heard, you hear me often refer to this, those who stand before the judgment bar of God and Jesus, uh, they're standing before the Lord and remember what they're saying, but Lord, Lord, we did all these things. You know, we did all kinds of good stuff. God says, depart from me, I never knew you. 
And those who are truly righteous are those who have come to the point to where they've got nothing to say anymore. All I can say is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. When you get to that point, be justified. When you finally get your law, let's look at the last verse. No flesh, not one person. There are exceptions. By the no flesh be justified. Now the law is good. The law is good. The law shows us where we go wrong. But there's one thing the law cannot do, and that is it cannot justify us. The law shows us. The law is like the flashlight. The law is like the uh, the MRI. It can diagnose the problem, but it can't cure the problem. When Paul was talking to the Corinthians about tables of stone and the, and the tables of the heart, remember what Paul said? He called it a ministry of, not righteousness, but a ministry of condemnation. The law can only condemn us. The law cannot justify us. He says, for by the, the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. By the, the, that's what the law is for, folks. It is to show us how exceedingly sinful that we really are. But we will cry out to a Savior for deliverance. And there is indeed deliverance for the sinner. Uh, I, I just want you to be encouraged this morning. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your past is. The Lord can and will forgive you if you with a sincere heart turn to Him in repentance. By the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul told Timothy, he said, The law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for sinners and for disobedient, for those who don't know the Lord. The law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you're trusting in your good works, it's time for you to just shut your mouth. Let your mouth be stopped before God. The real enemy, I think, sometimes is not how bad we think we are. I think that's actually a good thing, to have a knowledge of how sinful we are. The real problem is that we think we're good. It's a bad kind of good. Based on God's righteousness, our righteousness is filthy rags. When we put our good works up against God's perfect standard of holiness and righteousness, we fall miserably short. The, Mother Teresa, you, or, or, you know, you take any person in the world and you think, well, they, they were the, uh, some of the greatest people that ever lived. They were the salt of the earth. Even them, their righteousness before a holy God is as filthy rags. Which brings us now to the solution. You say, well, Henry, there's a problem here. We all know that we're guilty before God. We're all, we've all been condemned. The pagan, the moralist, who's a hypocrite, and the religious person who trusts in rituals and, and circumcision and baptism and all this other stuff to save. We're all under the same plight. We all have this same, uh, we've all been diagnosed with a deadly disease of unrighteousness. So what is the remedy? The remedy is the gospel. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. 
What you and I could not do on our own, God did for us in the person of His Son. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And where we could not obey the law, Jesus Christ obeyed every jot, every tittle. He, he obeyed the Lord. He was tempted in every point, just like we are. And yet He never sinned when faced with the devil. He simply said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And ultimately, He went to Calvary's cross after being beaten beyond recognition, he died for your sin and for my sin. He was laid in the tomb and he rose again. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, if you will believe that and you'll call on the name of the Lord, you too will be saved. Brother Ronnie.